What is up? Welcome back to Three Footed Tackle, where tonight we are talking U.S. soccer, the women's and men's variety, the Gold Cup and World Cup, close to their finales. The women are in the semis. The men just moved on to the semis, but it was a lot tougher than we thought. Of course, MLS is back, and we'll be talking that as well. There's no team in Nashville, but my Nashville buddy's here to talk it all. It's Three Footed Tackle. Let's kick it. All right, and we welcome back once again to the podcast our man from Tennessee, Cliff Chartrand, is back on Three Foot Attack. Cliff, how you doing this fine night? Living a good life, man. Just getting ready for these two big U.S. national team games. Let's start with the men because they played most recently, and then we will get to the women and preview their game against England after that. You know, what do you think of the U.S. men's national team? A 1-0 win over Curacao. Not impressive there was a lot of dissection on the post game show I watched the whole post and it was funny to see like Marisa do Landon Donovan Kobe Jones just kind of eh, like they didn't know what to think when they were trying to break down the, the performance because we flat out got dominated in the second half by Curacao you know possession wise and whatnot and it wasn't good to see and we never really were threatened too bad there was a couple chances for Curacao but thank goodness we had that early lead that we could kind of hold on to but man it, it got dicey there for a little bit well, and it's funny because I texted you after the last time I came on and asked if you were doing a show before that game because I wanted to hop on it and say, this game ends up 1-0 U.S., it's not anything to really panic about because I'd seen how that Curacao team was playing in the group stages, and that's that's really what they wanted to do. They were trying to play 1-0 games one way or the other, it seemed like. But then the way it played out to end up 1-0 was certainly not comforting because I kind of figured it would be a 1-0, let's not panic, we had 20 shots, we just didn't finish kind of game. And that's certainly not what the second half looked like. Nepo Museno and Bakuno are great players. They really worked well together and they played inspired soccer. The thing that people do need to remember, though, is that this Curacao team is all the players come from Holland. They're almost like the Dutch B team, if you will, in a lot of respects. They're world class players, a few of them at least, that wanted to play for Holland and for whatever reason couldn't. And so they got together with Curacao and formed a pretty tight knit unit. Very impressive in this Gold Cup. We mentioned the potential contenders for. CONCACAF coming up and we didn't we didn't get to them last week that team was very impressive and they have an identity that they know what they're going to go with you mentioned Bakuna he's the guy that's played in the Premier League for them a little bit yep they were talking about him during the game and they said he basically said he waited his whole life to get the get the call from the Dutch team and it never came and he just he, he looked for a place that he could go play international soccer and he found and that's where he found it we were talking about maybe available spots in the hex we just kind of anointed Canada as the fifth team last week. It might be more wide open, and you could see a team like Curacao or, or Haiti, another team we didn't mention last week, sneak in there this time. They've accelerated their program very quickly. If you heard, they, they sort of ran through from not even being a federation recognized by FIFA to then getting to the Caribbean Cup in 2015, didn't win any games, the Gold Cup in 2017, didn't win any games. But then they got the, the next time they were facing Caribbean competition, they were pretty formidable, and they look great in this Gold Cup. So... Keep an eye on Curacao. People kept saying, oh, this nation is the size of a neighborhood in Philadelphia where the game was being played. But you got to they're drawn from a slightly larger talent pool. They're drawn from a Dutch talent pool that gives them a, a leg up on a lot of these other small island nations. And a talent pool that comes with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because they never got the opportunity with the big. Oh, yeah, good with, point. With their dream team. So they come in and they're excited to play, especially they get on the field with a team like the U.S. I don't want to get away from it not looking good for the U.S. Because like I said, I, the 1-0 final score didn't necessarily surprise me, but the way it played out in the second half did. And I do think there were a couple things that you could look at with how the U.S. played that 
that really when to say Curacao was a step up in competition is a little bit funny sounding maybe, but it was from the group stage and you kind of saw some holes with the U S I thought when, when they have to play a certain kind of game. And what I really, what I really thought I noticed was boy, Tyler Boyd has to have more of a defensive effort when we're not scoring four or six goals in a game. Yeah. The savior of American soccer (laughs) from the opening group stage game, he's vanished almost completely. Sure. And really what made it jump out to me, my father shot me a text in the middle of the game. He just retired coaching high school soccer back in Tennessee. He didn't like where Zardes was. Zardes was back defensively too much to be the number nine. When I looked up, I saw Zardes out on the right chasing back in the midfield because that wasn't happening from necessarily the other guys who were supposed to be doing that. So that presented the pro- that that's where the problem kind of lied. Either Zardes was having to slide back out there to cover where Boyd wasn't going both ways or McKinney was having to slide out wide. And that's where you saw the big problem for the U.S. There was no movement of the ball from the back to the middle to the front because Bradley was isolated in the middle a lot, it seemed like to me, because McKinney's getting sucked out wide because Boyd's not necessarily doing his job defensively. And then you just saw the complete breakdown of not being able to transition from one end of the field to the other. Yeah, they couldn't get the ball to Pulisic at all. And Curacao was controlling the ball, taking it and playing possession football in their attacking half, which was not what you would have expected to see at all. But they were happy to do it. And I think Pacuna is just a much better destroyer in the central midfield. Go go win a ball back and can turn it back to their possession much better than Bradley. It wasn't even close. I mean, Bradley, we're the official podcast of crapping on Michael Bradley. We always have been, even since before you joined Cliff. So my big problem with it at this point is I think the U.S. has always developed what we're calling in this current formation, the way the U.S. is doing it now. What we're calling the number six, the U.S. has developed some pretty solid players through that pipeline at that position, really going back 20 years. But I think the problem has been there's not necessarily that number eight. And when I see Bradley and McKinney playing together, I see kind of the same player. And I would like to see McKinney where Bradley is, quite frankly, with this team. He seems up for the role of going and being, of the, being the enforcer to me. That's yeah. that's more like his role, it seems like, that he would be that that number six that we're calling it in American soccer. And when you have them together, it, it, it does get a little bit redundant. And it's the ball's not always moving like you would like to see it move. We still lack that guy to pair with those two players. The game with Curacao was lacking the player to come in and play that 40-yard cutting ball to someone making a run to me. We didn't get to see Bradley and McKinney beside each other much, which is what I was going back to what I was saying earlier. McKinney, I felt like, was getting sucked out wide a lot because he was covering defensively for the attack. I would rather see McKinney holding down the middle instead of Bradley there with another player being that player that has to get out wide. If, if we're committed to having Boyd, Christian, and Zardes is a true number nine up there in the attack. Zardes versus Josie. What is happening? Josie went out, played a great game in the third group stage game, looked good, thought he feels like he's back to full health. But then here we are in the knockout, and it's Zardes leading the line again. Not everybody was surprised, but I was slightly surprised. I expected it to be Josie. Well, and as I said, watching that game back, and once I really started paying attention to it after, after the point my father brought up, what I really noticed was Zardes was willing to work both ends of the field like you would want one of the wings to do in the formation we're running. Boyd was the guy who was a little bit lost to me. So I wonder if you could, can you slide Zardes outside and put Josie up there as the true number nine 
is that the right formation for this team? And bench Boyd, wow. He just did not have the effort defensively in a tight game that I that I would like to see. When it's 1-0 against Curacao, you have to expect more 1-0 games against better opponents as we go further into the qualification and hopefully into the World Cup. You're only going to run into better teams. You're only going to play tighter games. And I didn't see the defensive work ethic I needed to see from Tyler Boyd. We got to beat Jamaica and you assume Mexico to win the Gold Cup here, which is not undoable, but it's not a tall task, but it's a medium task. Jamaica, one of the more disappointing teams. I, I almost thought they might find themselves slipped up and caught in the group stage, but they've sort of gotten together and they've looked better in their most recent games as compared to the early group games. Getting better through the tournament, what do you think of the U.S. facing Jamaica? With all of what we just said, bashing the U.S. performance against Curacao, it was a great warm-up game to go in and play Jamaica, who's a team that's going to play the same kind of style Curacao just did. We've seen it throughout this tournament with Jamaica. They want to play that 1-0 type game. They're comfortable playing 0-0. We've just got 90 against a team that did that, and arguably in this tournament maybe has done it better than Jamaica has, if we want to be completely honest. If you remember, it was the 1-1 draw between Jamaica and Curacao, and then the followed by the, next, the Honduras El Salvador result. They got Curacao through. They that late equalizer when Jamaica let up. Jamaica just they they're not quite the same Jamaica team that made to the Gold Cup final last turn. This tournament was run. I am much more comfortable, especially having played the last game that the U.S. just played and the style that they had to play. I'm much more comfortable going into this game against Jamaica than I would have been against Panama because that would have been a game you had to come out and play a little bit more. This Jamaica game is going to look a lot like the Curacao game did. They just have to finish a little better in certain spots. And like you said, you brought up Josie. I don't understand not seeing Josie out the door in that game at some point when it needed with the substitutions. It needed something. They needed yeah, a start like even, some even if he didn't start, you would have thought he would have subbed in for sure. That's a good. Well, call. the sub the sub that was made was Morris coming on for Boyd, and honestly, that's a we talked about. What I thought was lacking was a defensive effort from the player in that spot in the field. And Morris is another attack minded guy. I wouldn't mind seeing maybe Mihailovic, someone else off this bench get in in that spot that's going to give you the effort on both ends and lets McKinney stay inside with Bradley. There's options here with this roster to maybe they're probably going to come out and start the same way against Jamaica they have been starting. But the one thing I would like to see from Burhalter, and this is something he's going to learn, he's learning along with the players at this point, but you do need to see the progression of he notices that what the game is lacking and he gets that substitution in there. I would like to see Jordy come in for Bradley. Is that too? Is that absolutely wild? Who knows? I guess he's going to probably end up going with the veteran experience. But I, I am a mile. It just fan. seems. It just seems they're committed to Bradley till the end. It's not my favorite thing in the world. You said you guys are the podcast record of bashing Bradley, so I won't pile on. He hasn't been my favorite player. The U.S. is good at developing that number six. If you if you go on back and and you, people would take dispute with some people, I would categorize as that number six. But I think that's always a, been a position of strength. It's just once a guy gets to be 33 years old, he's no longer that position of strength. For me, it's a thank you for your service on Bradley. Obviously, I would never say anything bad about his legacy, but I well, do think we'll be better when it, we move on from him at this point. That's all. Yeah, like I said, son of a coach here, so I uh, there are some challenges that come with that, for sure. It's a time for fresh new blood. The question is, did this work out a little better than it could have with Tyler Adams' injury for the U.S. Because it seems like by the time he'll be healthy and they're going back through this, maybe that's when Bradley gets phased out and you get a central midfield, hopefully, of Adams and McKinney instead of Adams playing an outside back. Eh, we'll see. I think Berhalter's pretty committed to that uh, situation with Adams playing an outside back and moving up into morphing into a 3-4-3. But 
he can do that with Bradley. So that's the men's side, but we have a bigger match coming up even more so, and it's hours away because we are taping this on Monday night and Tuesday afternoon, the U.S. women play England in the World Cup semifinal. I can't wait. This is going to be a showdown. Everyone was hyped up on the U.S.-France game saying, oh, this should be the final. These are the best two teams, and that may have been true, but from what I've seen, England is every bit as good as what France was. This is going to be just as much of a tough draw for the U.S. I can't say that I feel super confident that they're going to march in and win, but the form of the U.S. women is indomitable as well, so I certainly would never pick against them. Well, I think coming into the tournament, everyone kind of anointed France as the team to beat the U.S. Yeah, they're the host. Going to, they're the host, they're the number two team in the world. If you just look at the results in this tournament, this English team has been a little more impressive. I do think what you've seen the last couple of rounds from the U.S. team is a little bit of willingness to concede possession both to Spain and France and sit back and play that counterattacking style. Both games, they've gotten that early goal on the set piece. That's what we've been relying on so far is Megan Rapinoe and company being smarter than everyone, not necessarily more skilled the last two rounds. So, yeah, I think we've seen the U.S. women's team come out the last two rounds, maybe say we don't need possession against Spain and France. We're going to sit back and kind of play that style that Sweden played in the Olympics that upset some people, if we're being quite honest. Trying to guess what Jill Ellis is going to do has been kind of foolish, this World Cup. She's mixed it up. She's done her own thing where everyone has been questioning when Haran didn't start against France. Everyone was like, oh, my God, there's no Haran. What are you going to do? She didn't seem to mind. She's done whatever she wanted. She's mixed in subs the way she wants. She's Crystal Dunn as a, a forward. She's playing her as a fullback and letting her get up in the attack. It just comes down to attitude. I like the U.S. women. I, I don't know what the game plan is going to be. I do think that England is a tough matchup and has some just players that are going to cause a mess. But I believe in Rapino. I think we need a little bit more from Alex Morgan and Torben Heath. I don't think we can win without a goal from one of those two or an assist, let's say. But I believe we'll get it because... It's time, like, we've gotten this far without much from them, so you can see that as a negative, or you can spin that positive and think, like, hey, we've gotten this far without them. Now it's time for them to deliver. We'll get even farther. Let's relate this back to the men's team a little bit here. We talked about the lack of the midfield linking up the back and the attack. The U.S. women have kind of had the same problem. They've just been in, they've been in front against better teams than Curacao, so people have been less concerned about it. You, you've kind of seen this issue and I'm on the same boat. I want to know where Haran is, but which player are you taking out to get her into the lineup at this point? I might take out Rose Lavelle, as great as she is and started the tournament well. She hasn't been as good in her most recent few performances. Early sub, maybe you bench her this time and bring her in off the bench as a spark plug instead of in the starting lineup so you can get her in, so you can shore up the defense a little bit. Rapino is running everything, so you don't necessarily need Rose. That said, I I don't think it's a must that you have to bench Rose Lavelle, and if she was to start, I would look for her to try to make a contribution. You know, she could bounce back just the same. I shouted out Morgan and Heath. So. Well, and I think that's been the most difficult thing going on here, and as I said, I would like to see Haran playing. But if you do that, what do you do? Dunn maybe seem like the week leaking in Spain, played a great yeah. game against France. Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to say against France. My bad. No, no, abso- played an absolutely great game against France. And yeah. I thought she played fine against Spain. She just had a couple of turnovers there that were not in great spots on the field. I think the natural thought would be slide Ertz into the back line, maybe take her out, but she's, she just played a, a great game. I wouldn't take her out of the lineup. For me, it's Ertz. 
who is a veteran presence in the lineup, and I understand why they want her in there. I do think some of the players you mentioned, Lavelle, you mentioned Heath earlier, I think a lot of them haven't looked as good because they need Haran in the game to get them the ball, as we were talking about with the men's team. There hasn't been much link up between the back line and, the, and those players in the in the last couple of games because they've been able to get that early lead and then they could just kind of sit back and let the game come to them after that. Well, we don't want to dwell too long on the, this game because it will be the first thing dated. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, you might not catch this till the afternoon or evening and this game I will have already been played. So let's not worry about going too in-depth, but I do like some of your thoughts there. I want to get to MLS because it's back, baby. It's been a great couple rounds of games in the midst of these international tournaments. We want to be talking more about Major League Soccer, which was the original inspiration for this podcast. I know you've watched a ton of games. What games have you been watching? You know me, Rams. I'm a creature of the night. I don't catch many of those East Coast games. Usually it's still pretty busy at work when those are going on. So I'm watching all those West Coast games, and the West is just hot right now. I think you got three teams that we can kind of feel good are going to be playoff teams with seven spots, but really, you've got everybody in contention for those last four. I've made a couple of early calls about who I thought were the best teams in the West, and I've been only be proven wrong a, a couple times, and I almost don't want to make a proclamation now. There's plenty of games left, and a couple teams have games in hand that kind of mix up the standings, looking at you, Portland and Houston. The two L.A. teams have been on the top and have been outsetting the pace. LAFC way ahead of everyone. The Galaxy were closer to LAFC than the rest of the pack a couple weeks ago. Now they're a little bit closer to the rest of the pack. I'm not necessarily worried about the Galaxy for the playoffs, but I am worried about them as being one of the elite teams. Laden has not looked in form. They've had the injuries. Uriel Antuna is killing it in the Gold Cup, and they would love to be having him, I'm sure. Fabio Alvarez has been trying to fill in, but he's not quite as talented as Antonio in my book. Some of these teams lower in the standings could jump up, and a team even as high up in second place as the Galaxy is vulnerable and not locked anything up yet. When you mentioned Antonio there, that might be a guy that you only know if you're playing some DraftKings with the showdown modes for, for L.A. out there. But if you, before the Gold Cup, you might not have known him. But that's a guy that's that's been kind of Zlatan's wingman to start this season, and, and I definitely think they're missing him right now. So I do th- I do think they'll bounce back. I think you can feel good about both L.A. teams and Seattle. But like I said, those bottom four spots, uh, you mentioned that Houston team. They're winless in five, even with the games in hand. So they've had some guys off on Gold Cup duty. We'll see how they bounce back. I really like what Col- – Yeah, they're slipping. The beginning of the season, Colorado was – seemingly it was Colorado and Cincinnati is by far the worst teams. All of a sudden that team is not lost in five matches. Jack Price out of nowhere with an assist in the last four. Uh, he's a British guy, <laughs> but he, he's, he's a British guy that will never be caught up to the uh, English national team. So I'm not sure if we can do a 23 and me and see if we can get some <laughs> eligibility here or something like that. Like we're no, saying, we, the, we, the last thing we need is the, Jack Price. The, the U.S. team so seems to lack those guys who can get assists out of the center midfield sometimes. I mean, we have Kellen Acosta already, who's another ra- fellow rapper, you know, does the same exact thing. If called no, but definitely. Just, sure, just, just kidding for sure. But I do like I, I like how that Colorado team has been rising up. We both like San Jose and Portland a lot, I think. Yeah, I I can't go get there with you in Colorado, but – I think Colorado, Vancouver are going to continue to be at the bottom. I've more looked for KC for a team at the very bottom to jump up. And Portland, yeah, I, Portland's the team I really think is going to continue to climb up. They look 
incredible, and they they got that run of home t- games as we've already mentioned on the spot. I think, but yeah, San Jose, like you mentioned, they are really getting it in gear. That Vaco's in great form, Espinosa's in solid form, Erickson's contributing, and they are they really put it together under this coach that was the most hyped of all the transfers in the league. One of the biggest newcomers that people were talking about was Almeida, the new the coach, you know, the league MX legend who now comes to the uh, quakes and it took a little while to implement things. I was, I was way down on San Jose. They lost a lot of games early, but they are the team that I think is going to continue to rise. They, they've got a, a game in hand on a couple teams up there, two games in hand on Dallas. So they look great the other night. They three wins out of five two draws in the other so vaco was dominant the other night in that big interstate win interstate inters interstate yep the cali classico the, the cali, cali classico that's what yeah. we got 50, before there was no traffico before lafc existed it was it was san jose first galaxy was the big one Fifty thousand people showing up for that one great to see that environment out there Vaco was just dominant in that in that second half, especially as they as they kind of pulled away. He was doing everything he wanted to do out on the field. Right, and LA just had nobody. They had nothing. Zlatan wasn't getting the ball. I don't know. I'm worried about the Galaxy. I do think Antonio is the key there. Like you said, they need someone to be in support of Zlatan, get the ball to Zlatan, and maybe hit some of the shots that Zlatan's hopping on rebounds from. For some corner kicks for Zlatan to get on the end of that kind right, of thing. Right, get more aggressive. Yeah, they're just they're just missing that second guy with Zlatan to take on the defense and put some pressure on right now. There's two ways you can look at them, and they've won three of their last five, or they've lost two of their last three. So it, it just kind of depends what kind of window you're looking at. I want to ask you real quick before we wrap everything up. If you look at the way the tr- trends are going, Minnesota and Houston both in playoffs position, but they look like they're slipping down at the table. So from Salt Lake down through Portland, Vancouver, Colorado, KC, you mentioned Colorado, but give me, if they're one of them, that's fine. But give me two teams, the two teams you think most likely to replace Minnesota and Houston this time a month from now. I like Colorado. A little bit of what I said on them getting back to the playoffs is... I mean, they're only five points out. They're close. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. If it does, I think that will involve a third team falling out that's currently there. I definitely like Portland sliding in. We talked last time about all the home games they have. I like yeah. how the schedule sets up and how they're playing right now. They look great. scored again. Again. Yeah. Again. That was a great result to finish off the weekend in MLS. That RSL team has been there before. They had, they've kind of been up and down only a couple wins in their last five, a draw in there. I still think that's a team that's been there before and, and can figure it out. I worry about that Houston team, winless in their last five, I believe. They have a couple games in hand if they can get that turn around when these guys get back from the Gold Cup. Maybe all of a sudden they'll jump up a couple spots and we won't be talking about them as up in the air, but I do think things might have gotten tough on them So right now. It's a wild west for sure, and LAFC's got to feel good that they got out to such a blistering pace early because they didn't look good, and they looked really, really bad in a 1-0 loss in their last game, and they're going to have a few games where they don't look as dominant, so they've got to feel great about the points they've already racked up. Well, that was a result that I honestly had no expectation for Colorado to go beat LAFC. Yeah, I knew they had not lost in their last four matches going into that one. That win, to me, is kind of the one that makes you go, well, maybe Colorado can sneak in there. I'm calling that one an outlier one-off that I'm paying no attention to. And that's but, the other – you mentioned yeah. you mentioned SKC, maybe the better team to sneak up there. I just don't see it with that team getting together this season. The second goal they gave up to RSL – 
Beasler in the back, the, the the turnover, and then the counter goes down the throat, and you watch four Kansas City players getting back on defense before your center back makes it back there. That, that was a tough one to watch for a guy who used to play for the national team. So. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, KC is a little bit of a mess right now. They're starting Benny Fellheimer in 2019, so I guess that's yeah. Sure. We're kind of ruling out Vancouver, both you and I. I don't think either of us until this week realized that Ali Adnan was on a loan. They have not been great. They've been decent all year and as they float out of playoff position, and they're a strong candidate to get jumped by both Colorado and KC. They're nine points clear of Cincinnati, but don't rule out a a race for the seller at the very bottom. I, I don't love Vancouver going forward, so. It would be nice as a middle Tennessean to see Cincinnati kind of get something going the last couple months of this season because we got Nashville coming next year, and (laughs) I am thinking we might look a little more like Cincinnati than Atlanta or LAFC. Here's all you need to know, and I'm not a huge numbers guy, but 15 goals for, 42 against. It's not too good. All right, when we're talking FC Cincinnati, we've officially talked too long. so We've exhausted all the options, haven't we? Yeah. I appreciate your time and talents. Thank you very much, and I will catch up with you down the road next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening to 3 Foot Attacker. You can find me at Danny Brams on Twitter if you want to reach out. If you have been listening, say something that's awesome. Cliff, where can people find you? At SEC Cliff on Twitter. If you're looking for me, there's an underscore in between there. Always around to talk balls or soccer or wrestling or whatever you want to talk about. All right. Thanks a lot, y'all. What you win when that fuck, what you win when that fuck, what you win when that fuck, boy, strip it.